Maybe you've heard about the uh, kindergarten teacher who was helping one of her students put on his boots. He had asked for the help, and obviously he needed it because the boots just were not going on. She was pulling, and, and he was pushing, and finally the boots got on, but she had broken to a pretty severe sweat accomplishing the task. And that's when he said, the, the boots are on the wrong feet. And uh, she looked down, and sure enough, they were. And so she had to spend as much energy pulling off the boots as she did putting them on. So she pulled them off the, the feet, changed them around, pulled the boots back on. And it was still pretty difficult to get them onto the feet. She knew these were ill-fitting boots. And sure enough, they got on his feet, and he told her, these are not my boots. She didn't know what to do. She felt like screaming at him. Why didn't you say so in the first place? But she bit her tongue. And she helped him get the boots off. As soon as she got the boots off, he said, these are not my boots. They're my brother's boots, but my mom made me wear them. Then she helped him put the boots back on again. And, and it was pretty difficult going on again. And then she asked him after she got the boots on what, for what she thought was the final time. She asked him, so where are your mittens? And he said, well, I stuffed them into the toes of my boots. <laughs> Patience is required in life, but... The Apostle Paul would have us to understand that patience is more than an unfortunate necessity for a life that sort of disappoints and is difficult. What Paul lets us know is that patience cuts right to the heart of the agape love of God. It is a core concern for those of us who want to follow and live in the most excellent way. Uh, lately, we've been looking at love. Agape, as we've established earlier in the series, is in particular the love of God. It's His unique, extraordinary, giving love. And as we've been looking at the love of God, we feel a little bit challenged because we know we fall short for ourselves. And yet at the same time, I do want you to keep an open mind and an open heart to the love of God, even though it's challenging, because there's a promise here. And the promise is this is where God is taking you and me. He will carry out to completion the good work that he's begun in you and me. What I'm saying is the love that we're looking at here in terms of God's agape love is exactly where God is taking us. It's where his love is going to bring us because his love never fails. And so if you feel challenged, well, I hope you do feel challenged. You're getting it. But I hope you also feel hope because this is where you're going to be to be like God in terms of his agape love. With that, let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 through chapter 13, verse 4. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, this morning is going to be a super simple message. We're just going to attempt to answer three questions. What is patience? Why is patience so important? And then finally, how do I get more? How do I grow in this? So, so very simple. First of all, what is patience? 
Now, since we're taking our time going through these words, let me just go ahead and jump into the Greek. I typically don't like doing this, but this is helpful on this occasion. The Greek word that's used here is makrothumia. That's actually a, a verb because in the Greek, these are all verbs. Love does patience. Love does kindness. All of these things. But it's still helpful to know what is it that we are doing. What is patience? And the word is from two Greek words. It's a compound word. The first is makros, which is essentially being, it's an adjective for long. So if you take a macro view of the world, you're taking the long view. That's part of the word, makros. And then the other is thumos. That's the noun form of the word, which has to do with the passions or spiritedness and Plato said macrothumia is this word that arises from this understanding that there is a, a, a passion or desire or a rage that's boiling in the human soul. And so if you have patience, if you have macrothumos, then here's what, what you have. You have a very high boiling point. You have the ability to keep this rage or this wrath, this desire and spiritedness under control until the appropriate time. So that's patience. Patience, in essence, is having a high boiling point. And this very much mirrors what God says of himself in the Old Testament on multiple occasions concerning how he is slow to anger. On eight different occasions, the scriptures in the Old Testament celebrate how God is so slow to anger. Here's how God puts it when he talks to Moses. The Lord, he says, the, the Lord passed in front of him. That's Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Faithful love, that's the chesed, that's, or in the Greek, the, the agape. But he's slow to anger, that's the macrothemia. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and in truth. God intentionally, when he talks to Moses about his very nature, puts his incredible love together with his perfect patience. And that's what makes the list first. This is, not a, this is not an accident that Paul says love is patient and he's just like, well, I got 15 words I got to throw in here. Let's just start with patience because I know people hate it. No, I think the reason he puts it in there first is because Paul, being a good Jew, is familiar with God's self-description of being slow to anger. It's first on the list for a reason. Now, before we press into why this is so important, I want us to really understand this a little bit better. Uh, so, and because this is, this is so important that you get this, to, to recognize that even though God is long-suffering, and that's another possible translation for the verb, that if you're reading through a different translation, let's say the, the King James, for example, it'll come across as long-suffering, The love suffers long. But just because love suffers long doesn't mean it suffers forever. Just because agape has a very high boiling point doesn't mean that there isn't one. This is important. Now, some people say, okay, what's the appropriate boiling point? Well, I don't know for each and every situation. I just know that depending on the substance, you're going to have a different boiling point. And so, for example, with water, what's the boiling point of water? 212 degrees Fahrenheit. What's the boiling point for methane? 258 degrees below zero. Negative 258 Fahrenheit. And some of us, we know some methane-type people, and we try to keep our distance because that's pretty explosive if you have a low boiling point. Well, what's God's boiling point? Don't know. The Bible doesn't make it plain. We like to think of God in terms of him being a rock. He's the rock of our salvation, the Bible teaches. 
And so let's just say he's granite. Well, that's 220 degrees Fahrenheit for the melting point. We don't even know what the boiling point is because I don't think we have a furnace around here that's hot enough to get granite to boil. But the point is granite has a boiling point. Everything has a boiling point. And what the Bible teaches is God's boiling point is higher than every other boiling point in the universe. But he does have one. This is how it's put over in 2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, his patience is rooted in his love for all people. I know there's some thinking out there that God only loves some people and he's only patient on those that he's going to actually save, but he's not patient on all people. But God's patience is not like your patience and my patience. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. We're patient with people because we know we're getting somewhere that we're going to get something out of them. But God's patience exceeds our patience because he is patient with us even when there's not a promise of return. This is why he, he delays, because he's wanting all people to come to repentance. He's waiting as long as he possibly can. His patience is rooted in his love. But the day will come, the Bible says, like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. In other words, God's patience is going to run out one day, and when it does... Even the elements, that is the stuff of which all the other stuff is made, even the elements are going to burn because when God reaches his boiling point, it's higher than the boiling point of everything else in the universe. But he does have one. You go over to the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 1, God is being patient with some people who are living in rebellion. He's breathed the breath of life into their nostrils. He has tolerated their lies and their idolatry. And they're blasphemy, and he's basically said, it's, okay, that's enough. Time's up. You've been asking for something all of these years, and what you've been asking for is none of me and all of you. So I'm just going to let you have what it is that you've been requesting. You, you want a life without me. Well, hell lies at the end of the road where God is not. You go as far away from God as you possibly can, that's hell. God says, okay, that's what you want. You want to be away from me? You want me to have nothing to do with you? Fine. I'm going to withdraw myself from you just as you've requested. Have at it. The wrath of God is God withdrawing himself from our lives. We oftentimes don't understand how gracious God is being because we're not always acknowledging his presence and that in him all things live and move and have their being. But God says, okay, one day you've said no, you've said no, you've said no, fine, I'm going to take no for an answer. And his wrath is poured out because he withdraws himself from people who want nothing to do with him. That's another sermon altogether. But here's the point. Just because God has a high boiling point doesn't mean he doesn't have one. Just because God suffers long doesn't mean he suffers for eternity. Now, there's application for this, and, and I'll give you one. There's lots of applications, but here's one that I think most people can identify with. Because if you've not been here, you've got a friend who's here or a family member who's here, and that is you know this person, and they're in this hurting relationship, maybe this hurting marriage. And, and this friend that you love loves their spouse who has been unfaithful for years. And, and they've been in this relationship not expecting anything in return or getting anything in return. And, and you just wonder, how long does this friend that I love have to suffer in their love? 
And I don't know the answer because I've got the same Bible you've got. I don't have some sort of marital duration logarithmic little ruler that calculates things. I don't know. But here's what I do know. They don't need to suffer forever because there comes a point when you face truth and you act on truth at the appropriate time. Let's get back to God. Remember what God says. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. There's a time where you face the truth of the situation, and the truth of the situation is the situation's not changing, and some people's hearts can become so hard that even the incredible patience of God is not going to melt that heart. It's sad when situations come to this point, but sometimes situations come to this point. If it comes to this point for God, it's going to come to this point in marriages sometimes too. And it's sad. And you're saying, well, Ernest, are you saying that there should be a limitation on people's love? No. There's not a limitation on God's love. It's just that you reach a point when it does neither party any good for one of the people to suffer because nothing is changing. God is long-suffering, and he will suffer as long as he possibly can, as long as he needs to for the salvation of every human being. But there comes a point when we acknowledge that a person's heart is so hard that not even God's love is going to change it. But God will do whatever God can do, and he will suffer as long as he possibly can. In fact, you know what the truth of the Scripture is? The truth of the Scripture is God will go to hell for you. And he did. The, the macrothumos of God is absolutely thoroughly unmatched. So that's patience. It's incredible, this patience of God. Now, the next question that we have to ask is, okay, why is this so important? Because if the patience of God requires suffering, anytime your heart is open towards someone and they are not responding to your heart, anytime you're waiting on someone for them and not for something you're going to get from them, your heart is going to be torn asunder. There is a certain amount of pain that is involved in, in a giving and giving and giving love. And so you're saying, why in the world would I want to be long-suffering? Why is this so important? Two reasons this is important. Two fundamental reasons you have to have patience. And the first reason is this. Without patience, you won't grow in understanding. Without patience, the Bible says, you'll be a fool. And nobody wants to be known as a fool. You don't want to be the foolish husband. You don't want to be the foolish wife. You don't want to be the foolish mom or the foolish dad or the foolish son or the foolish daughter or the foolish sibling. You don't want to be the foolish friend. Nobody wants to be a fool. But in the Bible... The clearest way to be known as a fool is to jump to conclusions that are wrong because your vision is so limited by the little bitty world of you. Here's how the Bible puts it. Four times in the book of Proverbs, it ties patience to wisdom and impatience to foolishness. Look at what it says. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You see somebody who's got a quick temper? The Bible says they're foolish. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16:32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 19:11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 
Now, in the New Testament, all of, of the wisdom literature is summed up pretty well by, by James in this manner. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Impatience is the gateway to an easily kindled anger. And there's nothing inherently wrong with anger, but easily kindled anger or the anger of impatience is the telltale sign of the fool. How many times have you known, or maybe it's even been you, okay, we've done this. How many times have you known of someone who just jumped to conclusions without knowing the facts or without getting the appropriate interpretation? You say, what do you mean appropriate interpretation? Well, let me give you an example of this. When I was a youth pastor years ago, I told one of my students, who I really liked, I think his name was Kevin, I told him, Kevin, you're an asset. And he got mad. And he later came back and said, what did you mean calling me an asset? And I'm thinking, that, I'm glad you asked because I think that word does not mean what you think that word means. He got the facts straight, but I'm really glad that he came to me for the interpretation of what I told him. People who are impatient will jump to conclusions without knowing the facts or they'll jump to the wrong conclusions without getting appropriate context. And the Bible says when you, when you do that, you're, you're, you're being a fool. You, you lack understanding. You lack for wisdom. Now, in our world, unfortunately, the way the world deals with the, with the patience problem there's an impatience problem. Here's how they're going to deal with it. They're not going to encourage the development of patience as much as our world is going to naturally try to eliminate as many situations as possible that would require the exercise of patience. This is really natural. This is how businesses compete. Providers of goods and services are going to try to provide those goods and services faster than everybody else. That's how they gain attention. That's how they will compete. It's natural. We want what we want when we want it. And so if I order from Amazon, I'm going to get that stuff, you know, later the same day. I don't even know how that's possible. But if I order a book on Amazon, it's going to take, you know, all afternoon for it to get here. That's why I do Kindle, so I can get it within 30 seconds, because I want what I want when I want it. That's natural. If you fly the same airline, they're going to reward you by putting you at the front of the line or by delivering your bags a little bit quicker than they deliver the bags to everybody else. And if you go to Disney, you get the fast pass because that puts you in line in front of everybody else. And it's just the nature of things. And that's okay. It's wonderful to get the services done quickly. But here's the problem. In an instant culture, if you're not careful, you'll get pressed into the foolishness that happens when you start thinking that patience is a necessary evil or that patience is just an unfortunate reality that everybody has to accept. Even the instant information age in which we live where you can get the right information right on time that you desperately need, even that has a dark side. And the dark side is in, in all of this instant information, we've lost the capacity to grow in wisdom and understanding. Here's how one professor put it at Harvard. She, she teaches this class in art history uh, professor Jennifer Roberts, and, and she created quite a stir a few years ago when she started talking about the need for decelerated education. Here's what she, she says. She says, in my class, whether it's undergraduate or graduate school, it doesn't matter, I've got a class on art history, and in every one of those classes, I require the students to present a research paper, to do a project on one piece of art 
And before they do anything else, it's the art of their choosing, but before they do anything else, before they read online, before they check out books or anything, the first thing they've got to do is sit there in front of that art and just look at it for three hours. And she, I know, your head almost fell off over there. I know, it seems like a long time. She uses this example. This is a boy with a squirrel. Do we have that picture? That's her, that's her favorite picture for some reason. And uh, it's, it's, it was drawn or painted, I guess, in 1675 by John Singleton Copley. It's a two-and-a-half-foot-by-two-foot painting. And she says they'll just have to go to the museum where that's located, the Museum of Fine Arts in, in uh, Boston, and just sit there and look at that painting for three hours. Now, remember, these kids are paying, or their parents are paying, $4,500 for this three-hour class. And they're sitting there for three hours just looking at the painting and writing down their observations and maybe questions or speculations that arise from those observations. And most of the students, they really resent the project until they've done it for three hours. And then they come back to her and then they say, it was amazing the possibilities and the potentialities that was unlocked by me just looking at this painting for three hours. I didn't think there was so much incident and information on one little canvas. I, I thought, what in the world? There's not enough to think about. There's not enough to see in a little five-foot square piece of art. But they come back shocked at what they've seen. She says she does this exercise and makes people look at the painting for what seems like an excessive period of time to communicate something very important that everybody needs to learn. And that is, just because you've looked at something doesn't mean you've seen it. Just because information is instantly available to your vision doesn't mean it's instantly available to your conscious. Or put a little bit differently, access is not synonymous with wisdom. Access is not synonymous with understanding. If we're going to grow in understanding, she says, if you're going to grow in wisdom, if you're really going to be educated appropriately, here's what you have to have. It's something our, our, our culture is losing. She says, you've got to exercise strategic patience. And what the Bible teaches in a very different way, but says kind of the bottom line being the same, without patience, you will not be wise. You will not grow in wisdom. You will remain a fool. So patience is very, very important for you, but it, there's a second reason that patience is really important, and that is, without patience, Jesus Christ is not going to be revealed in and through your life. Jesus went shoulder to shoulder with sinners for some 33 years, and yet we only have two instances where he clearly exhibits anger. Two times in 33 years. And you know, this is Jesus. He's the Son of God. He knows the Father's will. He sees the Father's will being violated all the time. And he would have been very justified, even righteous, in the display of his anger, probably on multiple occasions. But even when his righteous anger is displayed, it is slow in developing. Jesus is extremely patient with people. He's also patient with circumstances. If you read through the Gospels very carefully, you can see that Jesus is careful to time his teaching and his miracles so that his ministry unfolds in accordance with the Father's will. And so there are occasions like in John chapter 2 where the family members of Jesus say, hey, let's speed this thing up. And Jesus says, my time has not yet come. He's patient with circumstances. He knew what it was to wait on the Father. And number three, he's patient in terms of his pain. He's patient in affliction. He's patient in suffering. This is Peter, who is very familiar with Jesus and the crucifixion. Here's what Peter says. 
For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He patiently endured the cross. Jesus sees, or Peter sees, in Jesus' suffering incredible patience. He's patient on sinners. He's patient on the Lord and with circumstances. He's patient in his affliction. And so here's the question. The question is, in what sense do you think you can display impatience and possibly reveal Jesus? No way. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that the very fact that he was saved by the grace of God is itself a testimony to the patience that is inherent in the gospel. Here's how Paul puts it. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, in the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. The fact that any of us are saved testifies to the patience of Christ in pursuing us even while we were still sinners dying for us. So when we are impatient, people can't see Jesus. And actually, in a very strong sense, we're undermining the gospel. So patience is important. So here's the final question of the consideration, and that is, okay, how do I grow in patience? I know patience is important. I get it. It involves suffering. I get it. How do I grow in patience? I'm going to give you one thing because uh, I'm too impatient to deal with a big list. If I, I mean, seriously, if I'm in the midst of an impatient moment, I need one thing that I can hang my hat on in that moment so that I can remain patient. And, and here it is. And I think this is actually sufficient. Just remember God's patience with you. Just remember God's patience with you when your patience is being tested. I, I, I'm kind of curious. I know I can't get an actual response, but I wish I knew how many of you in here, okay, just at least once. We'll go with one time. How many of you in here ever, even when you're a kid, okay, doesn't matter, how many of you ever said something like this to God? God, if you will do this, then I will do this. I'll serve you forever. I'll, if you just do this one thing, how, how many of you ever done that? It's like, okay, like everybody? Okay, now I want to know. How many of you have done that at least ten times? Shame on you people. That's terrible. No. We, we do this. And, but you know why you couldn't even remember how many times you've done this? I couldn't remember how many times I've done this because I've done it so many times I just forgot after I did it. Oh, God, if you will, then, then I forget all about it. And God's still patient with you. And he's still patient with me. And you think of all the times where you really just disregarded and you disregarded willfully God's will for your life. And I'm not talking about where to move one day. I'm just talking about real simple things like just acts of disobedience. And, and even in the midst of your disobedience, God was still watching over you and providing for you and protecting you. God has been patient with you. And, of course, there's this whole thing about the gospel if God's been patient with you like that, don't you think you should be able to turn around and, and exhibit patience to other people? Well, sure. But we don't. We're not always aware of it. I love the story about Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? God tells Jonah, get on this, you know, go over there and preach to the Ninevites, preach repentance, and he gets on the ship and he goes 1,500 miles in the other direction. And, and God is patient with Jonah and he sends this fish so that Jonah can basically have a second chance. And God gives him the second chance 
And Jonah takes the second chance and he preaches repentance to the Ninevites because he, know, he knows God just is not going to take no for an answer. And then when he preaches repentance and people respond, Jonah is impatient with God. And you know why he's impatient with God? Because he says, God, I knew you're the kind of God that would be patient with people. And he's mad at God for his patience, not recognizing that God is still being patient with Jonah, who's not recognizing that he's the beneficiary of the patience. And so God continues in the book of Jonah to argue with Jonah or to reason with Jonah patiently. And Jonah never really seems to come around to appreciating the patience that God has given to him while being impatient with God for being patient with other people. It's crazy. I mean, really? Wow. That's a patient God. Uh, it's so patient that he puts up with our impatience with him. And we look at Jonah and we go, what a dolt, right? But God has given you and me more than a fish. He gave us his son who was buried in the belly of the earth for three days, not a fish. And even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we know this and then we're not patient with other people. It doesn't make any sense. Why is it that we're not patient? Because we're forgetting God's patience with us. It's not that complicated because we're just forgetting his patience with us. We're not digging into it. To the degree that you ever exhibit the patience of God toward other people, it's always only because you are aware of his patience with you. Because if God's patience ever comes flowing to other people, it's only because it's flowing through you. You're not manufacturing it. You're just rooted in it. Because human beings cannot manufacture this agape patience. You can't. Now you say, wait a second, I know lots of people who are patient. I know people who aren't Christians who are patient. Well, no, wait a second. Let's just think about how our natural patience works. When you're patient with someone, you think you're getting something out of them. That's why you're patient. You go to the steakhouse and you know it's going to take them 30 minutes to bring you the steak, but you're okay because you've done the cost-benefits analysis and you think this is worth the wait. I'm going to wait on the cook. I'm going to wait on the waiter because they're bringing me something. I'm waiting on them for me. I'm not waiting on them for them. I'm waiting on them for me and I've done the cost-benefits analysis and this patience is worthwhile. You go to Burger King and it takes 30 minutes and you get angry because you did the cost-benefits analysis and you thought, I don't have to wait half an hour. I need to wait five minutes. You go to Starbucks and you expect 30 seconds and it takes them five minutes and you get angry. You're doing the cost-benefits analysis because at the center of your patience on other people is what other people are going to bring to you. In our impatience, we're obviously self-centered, but we're still sort of at the center of our concern when it comes to patience because we're doing the cost-benefits. We're not loving them for them. We're loving them for us. That's how it works. It's natural. It's normal. I'm not, I'm not dogging on you. That's, that's how transactions work. People are a means to an end. Now, here's the thing that makes us so upset. When people treat us like that, we get angry, but we treat other people like that all the time. We treat other people like a means to an end. I'm waiting on you. Why? Because you're going to give me this. And if you don't give me what I thought I was going to get in the time frame that I thought I was going to get it, I get pretty upset with you because you're at the center of your patience for other people. And then when other people use you as a means to an end, you get upset. And you don't even notice, and I don't even notice sometimes, that we're using God as a means to an end. And we're waiting on Him because we're waiting for Him to do something in particular for us. Our patience is not like God's. It's just not. 
God waits on you for you. And so when Christ is on display, when the patience of God is happening through your life, it's remarkable to people. They're shocked by it. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, Jean Vanier was a he was a Christian leader, a Catholic in in France, and started these Laarche communities. And the Laarche communities are kind of all over the world. There's some in Canada and all over Europe, and they're designed largely to take care of mentally and physically handicapped adults. And in these communities, different people in the community will just help to care for people who cannot care for themselves. And he died just two months ago. It was a very non-fanfare kind of a funeral, just which actually kind of increased my esteem for him. He tells the story of Francois, is a 76-year-old woman, bedridden, blind, and incontinent, could not communicate verbally or in writing, could not feed herself, clothe herself, completely incapable of caring for herself. And yet, in obedience to the Scripture, so as to display the love of Christ, people in this particular community cared for Francois, who uh, was also known as Mamie. Well, there was this one young man in particular, a staff member, his name was Louis, and Louis was given the assignment of feeding Francois. And so, so he would feed her dutifully, but he didn't enjoy it. He felt no draw toward her. He found, he found it to be, you know, dutiful, but not enjoyable, actually painful. And then one day, she was able to put her hand on his and smile. And he said it was... It's a grace moment. It was a moment of transformation. And he said it changed everything. And he actually began to enjoy taking care of Mamie in every way she needed. Because love changed everything. Well, later on that year, there was a woman that came to this large community to just to view, to observe. And the director is showing this woman around the facility. And the woman sees Mamie lying there struggling for life and uh, she can't feed herself or clothe herself or communicate she can't do anything and this woman sees all of this happening and she asks the director what's the point in keeping Francois alive and the director says I think patiently well madam because I love her Now, I read that and I just thought, I don't want to be in her situation. I would say shoes, but she doesn't wear shoes. I wouldn't want to be in her situation. You wouldn't want to be in her situation. But have you ever kind of wondered, wouldn't it be wonderful to have someone wait on me, hand and foot, getting nothing in return? Wouldn't it be great to have someone just love me because they love me? Because they love me. And just to wait on me. No promise of anything in return. Well, the good news is, if you've ever kind of wanted that, the good news is, God does wait on you like that. God, God does love you like that. I was... Uh, you know, I love what, what Donnie Boyd is doing. And if you were here for the 
Fourth of July service, you thought that was really great and probably the highlight. From, there were lots of things that were wonderful, but I, I loved the story that uh, Judge Donna King told about getting this flyer for the prayer collective. I thought that was just so cool. And she, because when I called her to come and speak to this, she said, "Oh, that's great because I've been wanting to meet this guy Donnie who runs this prayer collective and this ministry for the homeless and da 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 da." And uh, the way she'd found out about it is that a dog had brought her a flyer. Now, I don't read flyers when they come in the mail. When my dogs bring something, it just goes in the trash. And so she gets this, and she's talking to Donnie, and she's just so moved by what he does. And a lot of people are moved by what he does, and, and I'm moved by what he does. But there's a question in people's minds sometimes that goes like, well, what's the payoff? I was visiting with a pastor a couple of weeks ago, and I was a little embarrassed to say this, but he was talking about someone else and just thinking about cost-benefits analysis. And if you do this ministry, what's the payoff and how many people are converted? And he was asking, how, what's the giving increase in comparison to this and this? And, and I, I understand that because it's a very natural, normal thing for people to do when they're thinking about patience and investment and payoff. But when it comes... To God's love for you and for me and for all of humankind. God doesn't wait on you except that He loves you because He loves you because He loves you. What's the point in keeping Francoise alive? Well, here's the point because I love her. God, why would you suffer for all of these people for so long? And you know a lot of them are not going to respond. Why? Because I love them. God loves you this way. And I know that God loves you because He loves you because He loves you, but at a certain point I would hope that that would melt your heart. And if you've not yet responded to His incredible, perfectly patient love, I would hope that you would do that. And I would hope that you would do it now. That you wouldn't delay any longer. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, I do know that I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've done wrong. And I did the wrong knowing it was wrong. It's not just that I messed up. I, there's something broken in me. And I need forgiveness. I need the mercy of God. And I know Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I believe that, but I need to receive that personally. I know God loves me with a pure love. That he doesn't look at me as a means to an end. I am the end for the, for the joy set before him. I was the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured patiently the suffering and affliction of the cross. And I think it's about time, you're saying this, I think it's about time that I would receive the love of God into my heart. I want to help you to do that. I'm not tricking you into walking an aisle or signing something. Or, well, you just, this is what it is. If you're there and you would say, you know, I want to know God and His love in my life, and I want to receive Christ as the lover of my soul, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer right where you are. You just simply say this to God. God, I know, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short. I know I need a Savior, and I know the Savior is Jesus. And I know you love me. And I want to receive that love. So I turn from my sin and selfishness and I trust in Christ and in Christ alone as the Savior and lover of my soul. Thank you, God, for loving me the way that you do. And I do want 
to spend the rest of my days thanking you, living a life of gratitude for your boundless love. But I know, Lord, it was your love that saved me and your love that will continue to save me. And so I just want to say thank you for loving me so much that you did what was necessary in the sending of your Son. Thank you for saving my life. In Christ's name, amen.